All right. Good evening. Uh, good morning, everyone. Paul Alcoholic. Let me see. I'm trying to get the squares. Uh, I think Mike just brought up a thing about relapse. Uh, and one thing I wanted to start first is, again, to reiterate, this is just basically presenting um, a hypothesis concerning exact nature of the wrong and then looking uh, from that diagnosis, using it as the lens to look at all the steps and the principles. It's not about changing principles or steps. It's just how they would look if you were looking at it from uh, this diagnosis of the exact nature of the wrong. So in my feeling, the exact nature of the wrong is really a mental activity that's going on. And that mental activity is assuming, is assuming many things about the object of the mental activity. And in a way, we start living the mental interpretation and we lose uh, the sense of being alive, so to speak. And the more and more we're fed the interpretation, the more and more what's feeding it sounds like us. So there's the act of being identified as what I'm saying is the foreign agent or the pathogen or a parasitical movement. It's not a parasite per se, you can't see it, but it has a parasitical movement. So uh, based on that, we try to look at some of the statements in the big book. And one of them, before we get into the relapse, is in, in the forward, which is the declaration that we are 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I really like the word seemingly there. It sounds like he didn't even need to, but to be really specific about what's going on, it was incredibly important because seemingly means it appears to be true or false to us. Yeah. So once again, we have a role in everything, in the disease and everything. And that role is uh, taking false evidence to appear real. Yeah. False evidence can't be real, but it can appear to be real to us. Yeah. The same thing. A seemingly hopeless state of mind and body is not a hopeless state of mind or body. It's a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, which means it's determined on how it's appearing to us. Yeah. So its hopelessness is dependent is dependent on how it appears to us. So obviously, when we're in the throes of active alcoholism and addiction, and a lot of us, like when I was involved in it all, I had no idea of AA, really. It's like it never came up. And it was, you know, it's such a weird thing. The exact uh, thing I needed seemed to be not even on the, uh, in, on the screen, so to speak. So when I was out there, obviously based on the behaviors that were occurring, and my reactions to things, I was based on the fact that I had a hopeless state of mind and body. So basically, fuck it. You know, if it's a hopeless state of mind and body, I want to forget that as much as possible. And I have some means that seem to help, which is getting loaded, you know, and whatever that means to you. 
that getting loaded would distract me from the hopeless state of mind and body I seem to be in. Who wants to have that hanging over one's head? So, but in fact, all along the, that whole time when that behavior was so extreme and the isolation was so deep and that sense of complete, you know, incomprehensible demoralization, those were all on, based on the assumption that it was a hopeless state of mind or body, really. Yeah. And the whole point is before that, not after that, but before that is this idea of the seemingly so. So that hopeless state of mind and body isn't really a hopeless state of mind and body, as many of us have experienced, because we still seem to have what they call alcoholism, but our living or our relationship with it or how we're living under it has changed dramatically where to some of us, the problem doesn't even exist for us today. So that's an incredible solution to a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body for it to really be seen as not existing for me today is unbelievable turnaround. So the seemingly is something that the whole idea of being what you're not is based on seemingly so. The whole thing is seemingly. The whole thing is appearing to be true or false to me. The same advertising that was going on in my head while I was using, the same advertising was based on false evidence, but it was appearing real most of the time. Yeah, and therefore my behaviors and my reactions and my actual emotional, mental and physical conditions were based on that false evidence being real. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible to me. And now that same evidence appearing in my head doesn't appear real to me anymore. Yeah, so it doesn't, it, it doesn't inspire an action and the action is what gets me tattooed with the consequences. Yeah, the thoughts have their disruptiveness, they're, they're producing an unease and discomfort, but they really need to be coupled with an action to really have an effect. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to get a 30-year sentence for having the thoughts I'm having today. But if those thoughts motivated a certain behavior, I may be facing a 30-year sentence based on what happened. So there needs to be like a retaining wall. And obviously, you can't isolate yourself in a retreat circumstance for 24-7 for year after year. There is some volatility and un unsuspecting results that happen when you're living under outside an institution. But in a way, I need a, a confining wall or a, or a retaining wall that keeps the thoughts in. Yeah. And don't allow them to provoke an action. Usually that, you know, they blast off from the platform of fuck it. And when that happens, then the actions entangle me in, in consequences court cases, you know, fucking broken marriages, whatever, that what does it do? It occupies my time. It occupies time. And it's almost as if I'm, I, there's a step, I step onto flypaper, and then every other step ensures I'm more stuck on the flypaper than the one that started it. So the great relief from the thoughts 
is because no actions follow them, yeah? That's an incredible relief right there. Now the thoughts, not being able to extend themselves, may turn on the audience of the thoughts, but I'm telling you something, if you start seeing thoughts as not yours, you're gonna lose interest in them. It's just that freaking simple, because everything here is based, our interest and attention on things is based on their relationship to me, yeah? The more relating to me, the more the thoughts have more power and more emphasis. You have to see the glue isn't the thought, it's the ownership of the thought, the mind. Yeah, I mean, these are the exact natures, these are the causes and conditions. The causes and conditions of the irritable restlessness and discontent aren't produced by thoughts, They're, the thoughts are used to produce it, what produces it is the ownership of the thoughts, yeah? We're not seeing the thoughts as being generated from a disease point or a, or a, a diseased uh, mental state. We're, we're, we're seeing them as ours, yeah? And that's the bondage of self. The bondage of self is when an action or a thought or a feeling is constantly seen as ours. Therefore, there's the ownership and that gives us a lot of po very limited possibilities, really. Either we may have pride in the action and pride in the thought, or we may have shame and uh, guilt from the action and the thought. And I would say most of the actions and thoughts directed by alcoholism end up on the guilt and shame point, yeah? They're not producing much pride and a sense of well-being, they're producing guilt and shame because we didn't do what we thought we should do and we've done shit we didn't thought we shouldn't. So, I mean, it's, you know, I just want to look at causes and conditions and the exact nature of the wrong. Because I don't think the people in AA had got to that point. They hadn't in the beginning. You know, the people, the most they had was four years of sobriety when the book came out, yeah? I mean, more has been revealed to us, and more hasn't, it hasn't been re revealed about the steps or the principles. They've been sound from the get-go. I believe the diagnosis of the dilemma has become clearer. I do. So, just want to throw that in there. And then the idea of relapse, I've never had a relapse. My relapses were before I got into recovery. I had relapses from... Uh, involuntary sobriety, being in a program for three months and then being in another program for two years. And after I left those programs, I relapsed and started using again. But I've never had a relapse in AA, thank God. And what I believe, again, a relapse can be a super drag or it can be used to, to lead to a convincing of our condition. Yeah, it has, because what's before it, which is what we are, is going to give the meaning to it. So it could further a long years of suffering and never coming back into recovery, or it can sort of galvanize being convinced about the first step. Yeah, so therefore it has value or it doesn't. It doesn't mean it never has value or it doesn't mean it always has value. It what it. It's the mind, or if you want to call it the person before it, yeah? So the person before the, re the relapse 
that mind of that person is going to give meaning to the relapse. And I've seen it be the final exclamation point to someone's life, and they've been sober ever since. So, again, there's something going on here that you can't understand if you take yourself to be a thing and uh, just this little six-foot-one action figure that's came, and you don't even remember that, and is going to go, and you'll never remember, you'll never remember when you leave. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see that a lot of the people I know, they're not seeing the power that we represent, that we give everything the meaning it has, that things can seemingly look like they're so or not so to us, and based on the condition of us. And what I found, mm, what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has done, has changed the condition that is my basis. And I realized the futility of the system trying to change itself. It doesn't work. So through the intermediary of the program, some power that's not in, contained in self-centeredness that's not, ha, doesn't have a beginning and end, is not programmed, it's not malfunctioning, but it is an inherent state. Let's say it's the, it's the source of grace or whatever you want to call it, is always available at all times. And having moved from trusting something finite to trusting something infinite, that is giving my life meaning now. And the meaning it's giving it is completely different than the parasite gave it, yeah? And following the meaning that I see life as now leads me to enjoy peace of mind, to understand serenity, to be of service, yeah? To let bygones be bygones, to realize everything's not all about me, to be in a sense of humility concerning my role here and how much I do, and how much something does for me or through me. That's all been, that wasn't produced or achieved or arrived at by Paul. It was in spite of Paul, really. It nudged Paul out. I lost interest in Paul, and I gained interest in all this other stuff. I didn't gain interest in you as Paul. I lost interest in Paul, and then I gained interest in you. Yeah, Paul did not give gain interest in you, it didn't. Paul is exactly like it was, a self-centered point of view, yeah, <laughs> who's more socialized now because it's been restrained by the program of AA for 32 years. But left to its own devices and put in a certain situation, is it would be just as rabid as it always was, which is it would see everything as a threat to it, losing what it has or not getting what it wants, and he'd act, act accordingly. No matter how much social training it's been given, if push came to shove, it would fucking start shoving. It would. But something has been diminished, that idea of Paul, and that which has been emphasized is what gives interest to others, yeah? Because it is also that which lost interest in Paul. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah, Paul did not lose interest in Paul. That, that spirit has lost interest in Paul. Why? Because it's seen all the, th all the thoughts that 
implied, Paul, aren't it's. They're just thoughts. You've shared them. I've shared them. We go to AA meetings, and it's obvious after a few months, listening to other people share about their feelings, their thoughts, and their behaviors, you can only come to two conclusions. How did these people get my thoughts? Or they're not my thoughts. I mean, obviously, if Jim, Joe, Bill, and Melanie are having my thoughts, that gives (laughs) the private ownership has been blown out of the water. And that's where the relief started to happen. When I I first started calling a lot of thoughts alcoholic thoughts, that's how I gave them the foreign brand. You know, that's how I gave them the made in China stamp. Yeah, but then it extended to all thoughts. Yeah, it wasn't just alcoholic thoughts. They're all the thoughts, they're not mine. Yeah, they're generated by the same program, program that's generating the thoughts where you are. Except some of us, it's in different languages. Some are in English, some are in French, but it's the same, same. Yeah, so if they're not my thoughts, I immediately start losing interest in them. I do. Just like if I'm sitting here, and there's a pretty woman who I'd like to meet is in another room running a meeting or something. And I'm really keen on meeting her because I think she's going to do for me what I can't do for myself. Have babies, love me, take care of me. She's rich and shit. So my interest and attention or the interest is really on listening to what she's saying in the other room. And I'm hoping she's going to say, hey, I really like Paul, that guy Paul in the other room. So then I'll run into her, you know, in the hallway. Oh, let's have a cup of coffee. (laughs) So there I am. People are (laughs) watching me in in the meeting and they're going, Paul doesn't even seem to be here today. So they, I, they say, hey, Paul, why don't you be here? I said, okay, but my head's way in the other room. Then they, they bring me a book and how to lose interest in a conversation in another room. I read the principles, I understand it, but the interest is about that lady saying, hey, I like Paul. Finally, she starts speaking. I'm really keen on it. And she says, I really like this guy, Matt. Now, what happens? As soon as I hear it's about Matt, I lose interest. Yeah. I didn't have to send like a Navy SEAL 16 to, you know, extract my attention from the other room. I would lose interest in it because it's not about me. Exactly. That's the same. That's how it works. You start questioning all that shit that's framed as yours. And when you see it's not yours, there's a loss of interest in it. There is. So now the thoughts are not so beguiling as they used to be. The thoughts haven't changed. You just have distance between you and the thoughts because they're not you. They're not yours. Yeah, the same thing with feelings. And hopefully it will lead to a relief in the behaviors that you used to do. At least the review of your past when you were under the influence. Because it's so damn obvious that when I drank or used, I was apt to do almost anything. I mean, there was no volition in it, yeah? I mean, as soon as I put the drugs or the alcohol in me, fucking I was off, yeah? Unless you could physically stop me. And that's usually when my runs ended. They would be interviewed. I'd have an intervention by the police, and I'd be put in jail. And then I'd finally stop. (laughs) And then as soon as I got out, it was the fucking parasite used me again. So it was obvious I didn't do that shit. I'm accountable for that shit, but I didn't do it. It's like, uh, you know, I have a dog. The dog roamed over to the neighbor's lawn, took a big shit. 
The neighbor calls me up. I didn't know the dog did it. Calls me up, said, hey, your dog took a big shit over here. I go, oh, I'm sorry, you know. I go back over there, clean it up. I don't have 30 years of guilt about my dog taking a shit. It's, uh, it's not me. I didn't take a shit. The dog did. I'm accountable because it's my dog, but I'm not responsible for the fucking dog. You know what I mean? It had to take a shit. So basically, yeah, all right, I didn't like going over there, but it's dropped in about an hour. If I own it, it's it fucking festers for 40 years. It's insane. So this whole point is how to use lose interest in self as self. You can't. That's just more interest. You lose interest in what represents self by seeing it's not you, really. Telling you the truth. So all right, back to relapse. Thank you know, thank God I've never had the relapse in recovery. But again, I believe. It's going gonna, it's gonna to matter to the mind that's before it, yeah? It can be the next stepping stone to being convinced of step one. And I believe as long as you live through it, whatever happens to you to bring you to that first step, conviction of believing with certainty, I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm not a big believer in trying to keep people from their bottoms. I'm not. Yeah. It's much more valuable if they finally get convinced, as long as they don't die or shit, and then uh, be done with this fucking thing, and then live a sober life from that point on. So, so yeah, and the thing he, Mike said is, like, he doesn't know how to be of help. That's the greatest way to be of help, is not know how to be of help. Just show up and see what happens, yeah? And then you'll start seeing something is doing for you what you can't do for yourself, and hopefully you'll make a note of it and you'll start marking the journey from trusting something finite to trusting something infinite. There'll be a lot of markers along the way to validate you're on the right path. They will. You just have to honor them. Because I'll tell you, the head will forget a miracle in a half an hour, but will remember a, a perceived slight for 50 years. It's a very biased GPS. It's not on, it's not on an even objective uh, plane. Yeah? It has an agenda that you may not be aware of, and it usually ends up, we end up being alone and right, basically. Yeah, so. Yeah. Sorry for my knee, yes. Right now, if you can paint a faint face on that. So we've got um, Glasgow, is it Glasgow NA? You're up, mate. You're on? Glasgow, nah. Glasgow, nah. My name's Donald. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, thanks for letting me in. And I've listened to your share. Um, and you spoke about who owns the thoughts. Who actually owns the thoughts we get? Well, my first thought is where do the thoughts come from? Um, well, sometimes I have to step over homeless people in Glasgow, not always men. Sometimes I have to step over homeless uh, women begging in the street, and they sometimes give me uh, uncomfortable thoughts. Um, God, it gives me the thoughts. Uh, I live alone, I've not had any alcohol for 24 years. So, but God doesn't give enough money to provide for a. Um, it gives me enough. I've got a part-time wage, 
God gives me enough money to uh, take a girl out for a meal or uh, maybe go for a three-day holiday, but he doesn't give me enough money to provide shelter and uh, education for children. So is God providing the thoughts? Is the universe providing the thoughts? Or is it coming for homeless people? Is it coming, the thoughts coming from people with alcohol issues who don't want to go to Alcoholics Anonymous? There is a saying in, in Britain, in Scotland, that Alcoholics Anonymous is not for people who need it, but it's for people who want it. So personally, sometimes I have to ask for uh, the willingness to stay sober. Uh, and you also mentioned the word diminished. So if I get bad thoughts and if I act out, who owns the thoughts? Who owns the decision? If I get a violent thought, who owns the decision to act out in that violent thought? And uh, me. Um, Again, I live alone, but if I, was, if, I were, if I lived with a wife and three children, um, the, 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 the thoughts might have, she, the wife might own the thoughts. Um, what else? Um, so that's my deal. Just, just so you just keep cutting there, mate. It, it, this is a question and answer thing. I think I sort of mentioned that at the top. So it's sort of on what Paul spoke. So if you want to have a share afterwards, we're going to have fellowship afterwards and we can have a chat. But um, it's more on well, the, the question. Uh, is, yeah. The question is, who, who owns the decision? Who owns we get the thought who owns the decision to whether to act out in the thoughts or not thank you very much see uh, the system itself because of self-centeredness is the basis of the system it can't just see there's thoughts it always has to see or imply there must be a thinker of them I just don't see it that way. I just see, I just think the brain, whatever the mental states uh, are receiving thoughts or they're being conjured up there and then there's a reaction to the thoughts and there's a sense of claiming to be the thinker of them after. So I believe the idea of being the thinker comes from a recognition, let's say an ignorant recognition of the thoughts. I do not believe there's a thinker, a solitary object that's doing thoughts. I just don't see it that way. Yeah, so I don't care who is who has the thoughts or not. Yeah. I just see thoughts. Okay. Yeah. And then to see the point is before when I saw thoughts, they, uh, <laughs> let's say a lot of it was bringing me false evidence. And it was necessary for a certain convincing for that false evidence to appear real to the point it would initiate an action. And that's how. I, that's how I believe the parasite works. It talks to us as us through the thought system to attempt to provoke an action, in most cases, to lead us to drinking alcohol or doing whatever drugs. And then once it gets that fuel in the system, then basically you're on a run. Yeah? So the relief is obviously before you drink and use the real the I to me the idea of the program is not starting 
because of the condition of people with alcoholism, a lot of it has to do with stopping. But in fact, the program is about not starting. Yeah, in my view. So, and how, it, how I started to see the relief I was getting was recognizing that sense of being the feeler, the doer, the thinker as a very suspect assumption. And by weakening those little links, I seem to get stabilized relief. So then I realized how important those links were or are, almost like reverse engineering. So I believe you start getting an idea or you start getting to the exact nature of the wrong when you get relief from the wrong. Yeah. And the relief from the wrong, in my case, isn't from thoughts, it's from the thinker. It's not from actions, it's from the doer. It's not from feelings, it's from the feeler. The feeler is what make, gives meaning to feelings. Yeah, I can mistake excitement as depression. I can. I can believe I have a feeling right now and the reaction to that feeling would be, oh, this is the beginning of a lifelong depression. This is how the system, this is how the disease fucking manipulates us. It tells us a lot of shit that isn't so. We take it to be so. And then it almost is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah? Strange. But there is a solution. Dave. Yep. Okay. Great. So, um, any more hands to go up? I've got a question. You better hurry up and get your hands up because I'll have one. You know where that goes. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Guess who? Guess who? Paul. Guess who? It's our mate. G. Hey, mate. Thanks, oh, man. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. That was a. You know, I love listening to you, Paul. And this isn't something I thought up. This is during your share. I was just. I was listening to you and I was um, entranced when you spoke about going back to being the rabid self. You hurt me, I hurt you. You know, uh, you can still go back to that place, that person. And then you went on and I was so entranced by it. You went on to describe how the spirit, it's not, it's not about you today and it's about uh, what AA and the spirit has, has done for you. Now, here's the thing. There's a man who I see in my, in my region of AA meetings, 16 years sober, never, never worked any steps, maybe one, two, and three. He, he always shares uh, about, you know, you hurt me, I hurt you. He's always effing and blinding, no program. Uh, people love it. 
People love listening to this guy share. Now, I, I'm a solution man. I, I you know, I, 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 the program works 100% guarantee you work the steps. And, and, and I enjoy listening to you about the spirit and getting rid of self. Why is it people in AA still love listening to this man? I don't know. I'm not listening to him. <laughs> but he, 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 as you described him, you described it, going back to his rabid self. He hasn't had a drink for many years, but gets, gets called to share in big meetings and alcoholics still, still enjoy listening to him. No program at all. Been in and out for, been in the rooms for 16 years. Yeah. Well, what is, what is it about the alcoholic mentality that still finds that attractive? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not there. But what I, what happens with me at meetings, which I haven't been to a live one in a while, uh, is I don't know how or when it occurred, but the the emphasis on what's going on got diminished, and the emphasis uh, of the space got emphasized. Yeah, that's all. So I really like the tradition too, interpreted as a loving God expressing itself through our group conscience. I really feel that. At certain meetings, the uh, in our case in AA, the sum is so much larger than the uh, parts. Yeah, and uh, I was always surprised when people come in, new people, and they've been coming for a week, and they say, "Oh, it's so incredible to be here. No one's judging me and shit like that." But everyone's fucking judging them. But there's a collectiveness that promotes a love and tolerance. Now, if you took every individual in the room, they would probably be guilty of judging the person who walked in. But the we in our, in our society overrides the I, yeah? The me, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it, yeah? So if you took a, a meeting and there'd be 30 people there, you could probably say 28 of them are assholes in a way yet when we're together we're used to produce a different a sweet perfume yeah that's the that's the overriding power that i sense in aa is that presence yeah that presence my girlfriend she's not in the program she's not an alcoholic or an addict She's like others. She's they're amazed. She's amazed that uh, I still go to those meetings after 32 years. But I don't. I, it's like I I go to. She may think it's a store, but I don't go there to buy anything. Yeah, I'm just going there. I like the I like the sitting in the we, and the sense that presence, and I find it. It's so. It's like the access is so wide. Over time, I feel, as soon as you walk in, you can park yourself there and you sense uh, a, an ease and comfort to me. It's awesome. I mean, where else could you, where else could you find that? And if you did, you'd pay up through the nose, really, yeah, in life. This is what's going on. 
so I don't see AA as, as the individual parts. I sense AA as the collective sum, you know, that we generate a different sense than all the individual eyes do. Yeah, and I feel that is the, the grace of, that comes through recovery. And I really believe recovery is a basis of grace. You know, there's places in, in America, a place called Arizona and uh, Sedona, where they have these little zones near these rock formations that when you go in there, you feel it different, the energy. It's like a vortex or something. So people come from all around the world to go to these little vortexes to feel this shift in like how it, you know, just feeling. And yet we have that, you know, the possibilities there. I'm not saying every meaning delivers it, but it's deliverable at any meaning and every meaning. That's, the, see, you can't categorize that or putting a number on it. It's just the, it's just the grace. And if, if, if we've been lucky enough to be struck sober or became sober and have a clear understanding, it has nothing to do with us, really. I mean, not as just a, a you know, a, the jargon of recovery, but really an intimate sense of realizing how incomprehensibly demoralized you actually were and that the love of my mother couldn't do it the you know fucking the whole congregation praying for me seemingly couldn't do it but something did something put out that radioactive isotope of urge and uh just produced a solution that I never found anything like in this world, in my short time here. I mean, I would dismiss uh, how I use the word solution after the experience I've had in AA. To me, this is a real solution where the problem doesn't exist for you anymore. I just, just blows my mind. So, sorry for the knee. Uh, it just blows my mind completely. So, Believe it or not, the thoughts we're listening to are not ours. The feelings come and go, are produced or, or incited by a lot of shit we have nothing to do with. Yeah. And the actions, I know the whole court system believes this, I know the parents believe it, that every action that issues out of this body is mine that there's a Paul in there that did all these things, I beg to differ with you, I don't believe it. Out of my own observation and looking at my past. Yeah? And for some reason or another, I think this information really came after I had the relief. The relief told me about the problem. It did. Yeah? Now, I'm not saying if it's correct or not. I'm just putting it out there with the hopes that maybe, just maybe, it will work with you. And you'll start, instead of having a very precarious condition of okayness, you'll have a very stabilized condition of okayness. 
so that you can face what happens throughout the day and travel lighter through it, yeah? And then be an example of that possibility to other people who are traveling incredibly heavy, yeah? And I feel a lot of it because of our role is so important here that you can have a perfect program and if the patient has, has complete disinterest in it, it won't do anything. So we have a role here, yeah? And if that role, if the willingness is there and you, become, you come to a point before you die, before you're done on this planet and you're done with this condition, you know, there's a decision made and you're clear that you're fucked, yeah? Based on your own uh, fucking resources. Then you may have the same event and you may, and that which you could never have dreamt will maybe stabilize and you'll be able to enjoy peace of mind and you'll be of service. You won't have to do service as a way of getting out of self you'll be out of self sufficiently where you're of service. Yeah, it's, this isn't a static, oh, I, I don't drink and I don't do drugs. It's a, the recovery isn't about that. The recovery is from the underlying causes and conditions and from the exact nature of the wrong. That's where the recovery springs from. Yeah, there's no recovery from not drinking and using. I mean, the recovery is a possibility when you stop drinking and using. Yeah, that's why it's essential for to have that abstinence so that the recovery has the opportunity to sort of start doing its thing. Yeah. The exact nature of the wrong isn't outside of us, it's right where we are. Yeah. I mean, we're either an unknowing participant of it or a very knowingly non-participant in it. That's basically the two roles you can play. You can play without knowing it, all this shit's gonna occur, or maybe you'll see it before the shit occurs. Yeah. And that's the humble... <sighs> wish that... Uh, that is an expression of what compels these shares, really. Yeah. I feel a lot of the heaviness concerning life. Yeah, we have what's going to happen. Like, I got run over by a car twice in one night. That hasn't changed. And its effects on my physicality haven't changed. Yeah, they've changed because I travel lighter through it. But life's going to do what it's going to do. But really... The huge player is us on how it seems to see, how it appears to us to be. I mean, I was in the hospital in the uh, ortho, in the earth uh, where all the broken bones are. So I was with a lot of people from motorcycle accidents and went after I got run over. And, uh, you know, vaguely uh, tracking everyone, Everyone, there was different responses to the severity of the accidents we went through. Some people became alcoholics then. Some people killed themselves. Some people went off and became a great 
teacher and became a doctor. You know, this it's it's the after doesn't have to define what's before it. What's before it can find expression through the after. Yeah. And I just feel there's a I just feel the disease places us behind the eight ball. We don't see what's going on. And therefore we're at the effect of what's being not being noticed. Well, I think that can change if you can start seeing it. And maybe instead of looking so hard to become spiritual, you'll see from spirit. Yeah. It's 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 much it's much more of a relaxed uh, view, yeah. So, thanks, D Dave. Yeah. Cheers, cheers, G. James, um, you had your hand up there. Maybe it's fallen down. Are you going to come back in? Um. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just been such a great meeting. I keep getting uh, stimulated to want to share, but I'd hate <laughs> to derail it too. And I just had my breath taken away by what was just shared and I can't repeat it because it went, it didn't go through James. It went somewhere else. You know what I mean? It was, it was awesome. So I just, just thanks. And I don't really want to take up the space. I just, all of a sudden I hear Nick's voice starve that questioner. And I will say this about the relapse. Um, I, I think where I where I live sometimes it's like this it reinforces this idea that um you got to do this perfectly and you know you 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 relapse and then you have to do this walk of shame to get your white chip and and start from scratch and I um I'm glad I have a sponsor that took me through the book enough to know that there's nothing like that in the first 164 pages of the big book. And I also know there's a pamphlet that where Bill Wilson said that sometimes a relapse can be of great value. And it I, I think it can take you from trying to get days and years to just trying to do minutes, where doing minutes is the deal anyway. <laughs> You know, you, you do them hard at first, but after a while you're just doing minutes and they're, you know, it's like Paul says, it's it's a lighter deal. So anyway, I'll shut up with that, but thanks for letting me share the space. I appreciate it. James, it's, great. it's always great to see you here. Yeah. You're a major part, you're a major part of all this. Yeah. The Zooms. Yeah. He's a good guy. So, um, all right. So, um, there's no more questions for the moment. So, anyone want to raise your hands? Um, it's a big opportunity. So, um, I guess I'll I'll come back in. I just wanted to. Um, oh no, Luke. Luke to the rescue. Hey, Luke. How you doing, mate? Good. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I was I was reluctant to come in on the relapse thing, um, and that's strange, really. Can you speak up, mate. Can you hear me now? Is that yeah. Better? Yeah. Yeah. I was reluctant to come in on the relapse thing, and that's kind of interesting, really. In in the area uh, where I live, it's quite a contentious point, um, and I think it might ha might have to do with the fellowship as well. Um, in uh, in Cocaine Anonymous, relapse is really quite prevalent. Um, I guess that what we often see is that people 
they kind of they they feel like they fix up quite quickly uh, because with cocaine there's not the same physical uh, implications as there are with heroin and alcohol so that they almost feel like they're good to go after three four days and like oh i'm feeling i'm fine i'm doing well uh, I'm, I'm kind of uh, this program's already working for me uh before um any work's really been done um so so the the issue of relapse comes up a lot and there are, and there are different kind of camps that that point towards for instance like the jaywalker and um, not a cloud on the horizon, you know, those kind of relapses. Um, and I would say to the level of being kind of fixated in a way, to the point where that what they see that that is alcoholism rather than any of the kind of selfing stuff. Um, so I'm not sure what the question is, but from, from this perspective, I see it as, it, you know, it's an accumulation of... Um, of kind of selfing over time and then the thin end of the wedge will look like uh some of that chapter three stuff you know jaywalking type stuff um but there's obviously a lot more going on there uh, whereas some people just want to focus on the bullet rather than the gun just what the relapse looks like you know mm -hmm. um can you speak on that well yeah we were there's a lot of ways of looking at the same thing. Yeah. Now there isn't there isn't any rigid the way. You have to find what works for you. Yeah. Some people come into recovery and they're able now to you know enjoy holiday picnics without creating a ruckus and shit like that. And that's and now they can have a re viable relation with another person and maybe start a family. And that's all, that's what it is. And it's black or white. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Exact same. Other people, that's not going to work for them. They're going to still have an irritability, restless discontent. Uh, some, you know, there's going to be a lot of thorns sticking out. And so they, they're compelled to, uh, dive deeper into some, to recovery. They have to, or because, uh, so basically what's, what what's works for one person doesn't work for the other. Now, to me, the rigidity is in the steps and principle. Yeah, those are sound. But then how we go about living is, is up to, interpretation yeah yeah so a lot of times if people are sharing intellectually the next person wants to dumb it down you know let's keep it simple and whatever yeah and so there's it's a lot of stuff goes on yeah but uh it's just it's it's up to you it's it's the see we all have the same condition, but what condition the condition is in is different, yeah? And so uh, some people need, like where I live, a lot of men enter like stag meetings, and it's sort of like a military boot camp, yeah? They dress with ties, and they're, you can tell they're from the same group when they go out to share, and it's, you could see it, you may see it that it's mostly fear-based, yeah, of 
never, we can never go back out, yeah? And so that fear works for some people. Other people, that works for maybe a year or two, and then they have to outgrow it, yeah? So this is the point. You can't, it's not one size fits all, because really the, uh, the underlying addiction is much more chameleon-like, yeah? It just doesn't find expression through drug use and alcohol use. It's doing, it's finding expression in a lot of things, shopping, everything like that. So, uh, you know, that's what we're recovering from. We're not recovering from drinking and using. We're recovering, obviously, from the causes and condition that leads us to see drinking and using as, as essential or necessary. Yeah? Yeah. So, I don't like... I don't want to side on one side or the other. I think their AA can be big enough to include all of it. And hopefully when you go in there, you find the right niche that works for you or the right kind of sponsor that works for you. And yet be open that those conditions may change. You may not need a drill sergeant for 30 years. Yeah, you may not. Yeah, you may need something else. So uh, I would say AA is, is uh, limber enough to supply everything, yeah? I really feel that way. And then, you know, of course, the mental state for some has a fundamentalist leaning, yeah? They want to have a, or a puritanical or whatever. You know, that just happens everywhere, yeah? Yeah. What fucks up AA is the people in it, really, you know? <laughs> Everything, you know, everything else. It's just the way it goes. Yeah. We can't seem to get out of our own way. Yeah. So, yeah, AA is an incredible way of life. And some people make it harder than others. Yeah. So, whatever. So, I see, I see re relapse as an incredible opportunity. I mean, after it's already done, you, man, I know the head that power that I, I'm intimate with would make the most out of it, yeah? If the relapse already has occurred, it's going to produce a being convinced out of there and it will galvanize the person's desire to be of service and then that person will use that terrible relapse to help other people. That's how I see the power here, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so everything, everything... To me, recovery, AA is the greatest recycling plant of all, yeah? If you're willing to give up what you think is yours over to it, it's going to find value in all that shit that you didn't find any value in, looking at it from the disease's point of view. Yeah, it is. It's going to put to use with shit you've been trying to avoid for years. It's going to put to use, you know, and it will show you how wrong you've been. And that's, that's like a hallelujah, yeah? Yeah, so. So, Erica, you're on mute. Hi, I'm actually Maggie. I, don't, I can't change oh. my name. I'll look for you. No no, it's my bad. Yeah. Um, so, thank you, everyone. Um, thank you, Paul. Um, my life is forever changed since I started coming here and uh, I'm just barely able to like you know 
comprehend it, but I just keep being drawn back and it's good. And uh, I'm just beginning to see where this self, where it, uh, where it runs me and kind of step back and, and see it's not real. And then on, and so, sorry, I'm having a hard time saying, uh, so I'm, I find myself, especially right now, being super protective of who I'm around and what I hear. And I have a lot of people calling me with a lot of shit that I know isn't real. And I want to say, stop calling me. <laughs> but then that must mean that I don't really believe uh, I'm not really solid in this new way of thinking because I'm so fearful that somebody's going to come in with all this negativity and fear and I'm going to lose it again and I'm going to relapse. You know, talk about relapse. For me, the relapse is relapsing back into the reliance on that parasite as being everything. So how do you... So is that... Is that something, I don't know if the word should, but like, you know, to protect yourself from that, from other people's. Yeah, for now, if it's, if uh, you just have to get a little, uh, let's say, uh, autistic with it, yeah. Autistic or artistic? Arti artistic, like make it. You get to you get you become a smooth operator, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of times I get calls and uh, I can keep it to thirty seconds. <laughs> I wanted to become a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, one or the other, and uh, my specialty was going to be uh, on what's not happening. And so the people would think they were paying for an hour interview or session. And I'd, all I have to do is work one day. I could retire probably. And as soon as Mr. Smith came in and started to bitch about what's not happening, I would say, hey, that's not happening. See you next week, Mr. Smith. <laughs> so most of the shit that's causing us dis-ease is not happening. Yeah. We believe that did happen, and we really believe it's going to happen, but in fact, it's actually not happening. And <laughs> if you could just use that as a basic ruler, it really thins out a lot of long phone calls and shit like that. Yeah. And then what I do with people in recovery, and they call me, I ask them to do an inventory first, and then get back to me because I want to hear AA. I want to hear AA's answer to what they're going through, not their answer <laughs> to what they're going through. Their answer usually demands a lot of phone calls. But if they would just do the inventory, then call me. It's a much quicker because AA will tell you how it sees what how you see. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. So it's a beautiful four-column little way to go through it. After a while, you don't have to write it. You just do it in your head. And basically, 
<laughs> it starts uh, producing a sort of border between what's happening and what's not happening. Yeah, and therefore you'll you'll be able to tell the difference because a lot of shit that's happening right now is really rooted in what's not happening. So that can get that can get cut down and then you're left with what's happening and it's much uh <laughs> it's much easier to travel through what's happening than it is to travel through what's not happening because anything can be happening in what's not happening and uh what's happening is severely limited because the only thing that's happening is what's happening but that quality of what's happening, what's not happening doesn't have. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I'm going to be destitute next week, it's not happening. I'm actually in pretty good shape right now. Yeah. So you start being able to respond to what's happening, and it gives you the ability to see a lot of what's not happening. Yeah. And and uh, and you know, you're the final arbiter, really. You're the final arbiter. I mean, what's happening is presenting its case. You can see it, hear it, feel it, taste it, touch it. And what's not happening is presenting its case. You can only think about it. <laughs> That's really the deal. Yeah. So you start getting, uh, your life starts getting uh, thinned out, so to speak. And now you find yourself based in what's happening. Yeah. Which you've always been. But usually you've been obsessed with what's not happening. Now you've been weaned off of some of that. And I'm telling you, that's the easier, softer way. Yeah. I know I didn't say what directly what you were saying, but take good, take good care of yourself for a while. And then the faith in this message or what you are, it's not this message, will grow. Yeah. And then you'll see things. You know, sometimes the person needs to talk for 20 minutes and you'll hold the space for that. Other times, they don't need to talk. Sometimes a, a large part of the disease is observing uh, why you went out after you went out, yeah? Which I don't want to hear from people. I don't. I just tell them to go to a meeting. I don't want to hear the re their take on why they went out. It didn't help them. They're out. Yeah, they got loaded. I don't want to hear them because I see it as part of the problem. Yeah, so this happens uh, over time. So I'm sorry, Maggie. I don't know if I directly went to it, but. Well, I think it's more specific, like, to, well, it, it just, uh, so this person says, you better get out of your house. It's it's happening tonight, you know, with everything that's going on. Like you and your daughter, you need to leave and blah blah blah. And she's someone who's prone to this kind of stuff, right? Yes. And so I'm trying to stay in my intuition. I have a home, I have a roof. No one's outside my house with a gun right now. My fridge is full. Like I keep bringing myself to that, right? Yeah. yeah. And Maybe don't pick up. Don't right. don't answer her call. Right. And intuitively, I will know if it's time to leave my house. Yeah. Like I, I have to I trust. I say that. so. Yeah. 
Have you intuitively known in the past things? I don't know now. Now I think we well, have. Yes, you have. You've intuitively known in the past, so why wouldn't be? Why wouldn't that be available now? Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is about honoring. See, when things starts changing, honor the system. Honor it. I know. You know. I know. I've witnessed the program working, and I've honored it. I've seen it happen in big events and small events, and I, I took notice of that because the mental state's uh, case is all based on hearsay and bullshit, yeah? yet it will hide the evidence. So your job is to honor the evidence of the new, of the new system working, trusting something infinite. That's our job, is to honor it. Yeah. So you'll walk through this and then it will work. You'll travel lighter and you'll go, wow, that's working. And then it builds on itself. Yeah. This isn't a, a leap of faith. It's trying to just recognize there's usually a bias observation of everything. And then suddenly you start just having a clear observation and you see something's working in your life. Yeah. It's just, I mean, you're the vehicle, you're that which gets convinced, and your observation is the vehicle for that which, the, the convincing. You see something's working, yeah? You're on to something, so there you go. And then the uh, way of living it, if you have a sponsor, they can help you with the, you know, the way of living it day in, day out, yeah? But after a while, you know, I don't get any calls uh, from people who want to tell me, oh, did you know so-and-so got divorced because I didn't care if they were married, really, yeah? So I don't get calls to go off on some old thing because the buck would stop here, the car, you know, and it likes to keep going, so they don't call, call me anymore. <laughs> They don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if if you if you're standing by a principle and you're expressing it, after a while, people realize that. And if they're up to something else, if they want to keep the chain of a story going, they're not going to share it with you because it's not going any. It's not going after from me. It's not going to go to someone else. I'm just not interested in it. Yeah. So here people call you because you used to be interested in it in a way. Now they haven't changed, but you're changing. So you, now you, learn a, you have to learn a new way of how to deal with them because you're not participating with it anymore. I don't feel like going in this. I don't want to talk about it for hours. Yeah. They'll get the message. Don't worry. The point isn't you. It's, the, it's, it's like furthering it, you know. It's like, all right, I, I started a chain. Now everyone knows Marie's getting divorced from Charlie. Yeah? Yeah. Let's go to another one, Dave. Okay. Um, there's no hands raised at the moment, so I'm just going to have a break. I'm going to ask a question if nobody does again, and I will. Um, just wanted to give everyone a 
just to remember, if you haven't been here before, that Paul has, um, we do two of these a week. We do one on Tuesday, as in today, and Thursday at the same time on the same Zoom code. But also Paul does his own sort of more spiritual side of things, which is um, <laughs> that thing. Yeah. It's on, uh, more spiritual. Well, it's, it's more, it's not, it's sort of less on recovery, isn't it? And more on the yeah. spiritual side. I've sort of struggled to describe that really. Yeah, it's, it's a different one. So yeah, so that's on a Wednesday at um, seven o'clock, uh, seven o'clock uh, EST or EDT time, and then um, uh, on Saturday it's one thirty. You know, on Saturday, which is obviously better for uh, the Europeans among us. So yeah, so all good. Um, and also, you can get all these stuff on zenbitchslap.com. You can see all the videos and get all those juicy books and uh, the audio and all of the docs and stuff. So it's all really good stuff. So I highly recommend everyone. Well, remember the book uh, under arrest is more about the 12 steps. Yeah. Yeah. The other it. two are more about the other topic, non-duality. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 and they all end up being about the same thing. <laughs> but, you haven't been the there. The differences are very, yeah. very flimsy. Where does non-duality start? Where does non-duality stop and recovery start? I don't know. It's hard to. <laughs> um, and what about how's the t-shirts going? The t-shirts available now. We got a new supplier. Yeah, the t-shirts are doing. I don't know. They're doing pretty. They're taking a while to get get them delivered. I forgot which ones I ordered. Really, so. Okay. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll represent when I get one finally. Yeah. But yeah, we have, that's for the more, the non-duality aspect of it. Yeah. Okay. But you know, yeah, because uh, in non-duality, you're given nothing. So I figured I had to throw people a bone. So I give them a t-shirt. So they, they get something out of it. <laughs> and I like t-shirts. So. I like doing uh, you know, illust I like t-shirts, period. So. <laughs> anyway, so somebody else has jumped the gun and is going to beat me to my question. Uh, Carl, you had your chance, Dave. You just... No, but it's, you know, doesn't, I'm, I'm here to host, mate. So, Carl, yeah. you go, mate. Uh, hey, hey, Paul. Um, I'm trying I've to been... find... I've been in recovery for about uh, five years, suffering five years in July. And when I first got uh, in the rooms, you know, the fellowship was uh, was really important. Like you were mentioning, you know, these ideas that I, that I thought were mine, everyone else seemed, seemed to have them as well, you know, so there was a lot of comfort in that. And then I really got into step work and, uh, you know, the problem's been removed. And I've kind of... Um, you know, you mentioned before, you know, you're in the habit where it's not like, am I going to go to a meeting, but which one? And, uh, and for me, it's uh, I've kind of lost interest in meetings because a lot of what's shared is um, it's not recovery. And, and, and I don't know how to um, to find that interest again. So if you can just maybe talk about that. Well, yeah, well, the interest, again, will be because you'll see it from a different place, yeah. You know what I mean? The old the old idea of uh, what can I contribute, not what I can take, yeah. So, 
So sometimes just sitting there in the room, you're being of service, yeah, in my view. So, but hey, find ones that fit you better also. There's a lot of different meetings, yeah. And there are, like where I live, I go to noon meetings when they have them live because there's a, I just really love them. There's old timers and it's just fucking quality's good every meeting. Yeah, Monday, uh, not Monday, Tuesday to Friday. So, you know, and I get fed there. The people, there's, I like their points of view and stuff. So find, find ones that work for you. And, uh, and if you find yourself at one that's not working for you, let it work you, yeah? You'll be put to use. I always feel this loving, uh, I mean, very rarely have I gone to a meeting where I didn't sense that presence, very rarely, yeah, of the we, very, very rarely. So, and that's 32 years of going, so, I mean, the batting average is pretty damn good. So I think it's, you'll be able to find a good meeting. And, uh, and yeah, and the interest goes. See, to me, uh, let's say like willingness doesn't have to be enthusiastic. Yeah, <laughs> it may not. Yeah, you just, and I think the habits are what bridges you from where sometimes where the willingness isn't as willing as it once was. But because you have the habits in place, it spans those periods and keeps you keep on keeping on because you're not going to be willing and enthusiastic for 32 years, probably. Yeah, but the habits will keep will really it's like laying a rail and then the train stays on that rail. So you if you have the right habits, you're going to still be involved in AA when the interest gets rearranged or redirected, yeah, which is beautiful, so. But yeah, I know I, a lot of people have that where they feel like sometimes I've gone to a meeting where the problem is talking about the problem. It's not very attractive. But uh, what I would do is I'd find other meetings, yeah, yeah, if you can. Are you in a city? Uh, Savannah, Georgia. Oh, Savannah, Georgia. See, I don't know the South much, but uh, the city should have more uh, more uh, flavors. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. We in San Francisco is incredible. I mean, we have a very thriving, you know, recovery, and then LA is unbelievable, also. I go to LA a lot and speak down there and uh, LA's they have a lot of groups that have gathered together and they've sort of produced their own formats and they have satellite meetings like this one I'm involved with was called prime time and they have a format where they talk about uh, the problem from the solution and the problem is self yeah and so they have uh, different meetings like meditation meeting, big book studies, but with the same attitude. It's quite good. Yeah. And there's a lot of groups like that in recovery in AA. I mean, in LA. So I really, I really appreciate how you uh... and start one. You can always start a meeting. <laughs> yeah.
how you how you bring the um you know the 11th step you know it tells us to go you know find out where religious people are right you know and so i found that i, that I left kind of aa on this different spiritual tracks and i like the idea that you saying bring it back into the meetings because it, i really feel that at least the ones i go to you know lack that uh that flavor and, and so i just i can't and i can't but i just uh uncomfortable or something I'm, i know it's in me there's something yeah. in me that that is yeah and that's not necessary yeah you can find a meaning or start one and yeah you'll you'll be you'll be surprised how many like minds there are yeah yeah Thank that's you. why Thank you. like uh see in my case uh it wasn't right uh, for me to share in AA. So from an early age in recovery, I had a chance to lead a workshop and the workshop uh, turned into its own thing. And we never had it in a schedule. We never had, uh, and we'd always announce like we do here that this is not AA. That's how it worked for me. You know, I, I felt compelled to speak to people, but I had to find the right way to present it in, in, in the uh, content of the program and the traditions, yes? So, and it would be funny, we'd have people come in with a lot of time and they'd start yelling, this is not an AA meeting, and I'd have the great opportunity to say, well, if you would have gotten here on time, you would have heard the announcement. It's not an AA meeting. And they they go scoffing off and very pissed, but uh, yeah. So I was I've been l lucky. We separated, yeah, and we separate these talks to not to be AA, but it's sure it's definitely about recovery because that's where I'm from. Yeah, so it's been lucky for me. I found a niche. Yeah. Or maybe that disinterest or losing interest in what people were saying could have had more of an effect on my life. But because I had a platform, yeah, and what I wasn't hearing in recovery, I could actually say, in you know, that it's worked for me. Yeah, so. Because this was early. I mean, my third year of sobriety, we started to do workshops and we made sure it wasn't uh, affiliated with AA, you know, that's, that's 29 years ago. <laughs> that's a long time in a way. So, yeah. But I, I feel you, brother. That's all I can say. And just, uh, but, you know, AA needs people like you. AA needs it. It's, it's the lifeblood. This constant, there's going to be a constant download of new information, yeah? And, uh, and to me, that's the irrigation of AA, yes? It needs. And if pe people sometimes see it in a way they think it's a threat to the principles and the steps, but it isn't. The principles, the steps are completely sound, yeah? It's getting to the exact nature of the wrong and opening up to possibilities of how can I improve the conscious contact if I'm not that great with prayer and meditation? You know, are there other ways? So now people are, you know, 
connecting Buddhism to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, yoga and shit. So a lot of things are happening. I had, uh, and this is all coming out of the frustration, really, of people not wanting to leave AA, but they want to have these other modalities accepted in AA. Yeah? So, yeah. Hey, Carl, we're going to hang around afterwards. We always hang around for about 10, 15. So if you want to hang about and have a chat, mate, there's like-minded people here probably. So hang about, mate. Um, next question, uh, and this will be the final one, I think, from Melanie in uh, Leeds. Let's keep it simple. Yeah, good evening. Hi. Um, yeah, it's a short question, but I don't know how long you're going to go on for about it because it's um, a big subject, I guess. Um, how do you deal with someone that's full of self-pity in early recovery, if you're sponsoring them particularly? Can you say it again? I just missed the last little bit. Right. If you're sponsoring somebody in early recovery, and the, the, one of the biggest defects is self-pity, how do you deal with that? Because I find it really bloody irritating. <laughs> well obviously I would direct them to getting commitments yeah and then service commitments also just to, just to get out of that uh, vicinity again it's another manifestation of self in one's life pity yeah so you have to if you're over you're outmatched by it you need to take some steps physical movement and uh, be, in the, uh, be in, in the situation where you're of service so you lose interest in yourself, at least a little, yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The self-pity is driven by interest, obviously. So by, by, by pointing the action figure to another task outside of itself, of service, it will actually the interest and attention will be drawn off the shit like flies and then the the person will feel a little better and maybe they'll start seeing seeing uh the self-pity not from self-pity but from another view and they'll see it as a defect or something that's actually not working for them and then they could start applying six and seven when they start seeing it yeah mm -hmm. yeah so you have hardly ready to have this, which is, let's say, the, uh, the basic substance of self-pity removed or reconfigured, and I asked that power to do it. So now, you know, this is what the program's for. The steps are for uh, uh, a reclaiming of the material and having that material reconfigured so it becomes of maximum use to us and through and to others through us yeah that's the job so our job is to see what needs to be brought up i mean the shit's coming up we just we gotta get in the habit of putting that shit on a plate and offering it to the higher power which is the activity of step six and seven yeah But what if they're in denial of that? Well, you can just point that out to them. And I'm telling you, sooner or later, if they stick with the program, 
they're going to see it from a different position. Yeah? Mm -hmm. if, they're if they're looking at it from self-pity, they must think they're right, yeah? And it's justified and whatever. But the whole program is going to lift you out of that and give you a view of it from not it. Yeah, that's the whole point of recovery. You see the same thing from a different point of view. Yeah. You see your role in it. So she'll see her role in self-pity instead of everyone else's role that she's very clear about in the self-pity. She'll see her role in it. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, that's the possibility of recovery. You're not going to convince everyone else to be behave differently, but there's something in you can change for sure. So my job as that is to give the suggestions. If she doesn't or he doesn't take them, hey, find someone else because the act of sponsoring is good as, as, as good as the suggestions being taken. If they're not being taken, then there's no sponsoring going on. Really? Yeah. yeah. Then fuck it. You know, move on. Oh. Move it on to someone who's wanting or willing to be of help or to be helped. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the answer, thank you. Yeah. Here's Mel. Okay. Well, I think that's about right there, Paul. So, you want to say goodbye to everyone? I do. But David, ask you the question. It, strangely enough, you, you kind of answered. I was going to ask you about the conscious contacting, and then you bloody well went and mentioned it. So. So we'll I want to talk about the conscious contact because I see conscious contact in a different way. Hmm. Most people call the, uh, the experience of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching consciousness, yes? Mm -hmm. Because of consciousness, we can see, hear, feel, taste, touch. If we had 20 other gates, we could have 20 more different experiences, but we have five seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and it's consciousness that's having that contact, yes? So consciousness through the eyes are, is seeing, consciousness through the nerves are touching, consciousness through the nose is smelling, consciousness through the ears is hearing. So that's the conscious contact, that's how I see it, yeah? And then the way I believe AA is presenting it is conscious contact with a, with a specific non-thing, which is, let's say, God or the higher power. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yes? Yes, I'm listening. So instead of, it's not telling us to improve our conscious contact through seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, but our conscious contact of something or nothing of a higher power. Yeah? So that's two ways. So I feel we're constantly in conscious contact all day. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe we are the consciousness that's in contact. I don't believe uh, I'm Paul in conscious contact. I don't. I think Paul's an idea hatched in a mental state, you know? claiming to be the seer, the seer, the hearer, the feeler, the taste, the toucher. So we claim to be the one who's conscious. I don't believe we are. I believe we're, we're consciousness. So basically, 
we're trying to weird way we're trying to improve our conscious contact with consciousness yeah <laughs> so i believe we're we're in conscious contact right now <laughs> yeah so in the way AA is speaking it, we want to improve that conscious contact with that presence, and it gives us two methodologies, prayer and meditation. But the, the intention is to improve the conscious contact. It isn't to become a great prayer, prayer and a great meditator. Those are one or two ways, which could be millions of ways, of improving the conscious contact with the presence or the higher power. Yeah? And so people in the program get stuck because some people aren't built for meditation. They're not. Their mind is too active. And so they figure, and maybe they don't pray, but if they go to meetings, they pray twice every meeting. And so now they feel like they failed step 11, but they, they feel the presence when they're hiking or swimming or doing service. So they are improving their conscious contact already. Yeah? And they just get stuck in these little names of prayer meditation but the whole intent isn't the prayer meditation is to improve one's conscious contact and they're actually doing it by walking in nature yeah looking at the sunset and they're not but that it's not getting tabulated as improving one's conscious contact because it doesn't fall under the category of prayer meditation i think it's very limiting yeah I think as once you get sober and recover, you're going to learn, you're going to see a lot of things are ways of improving your conscious contact to the higher power. Tons of shit. Yeah. Surfing, whatever. <laughs> Watching a beautiful movie. They're all ways. I mean, we're not, we're, we're not that crippled to only have two ways of prayer meditation. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I see it. But I believe conscious contact is a fact. I think all of my contacts are conscious contact. Yeah. <laughs> all my contact through hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching is consciousness or let's say no thingness being in contact with things. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel. So I use the, the, the statement conscious contact differently than they do in the book. Yeah. I believe we are, that's, see, I believe that which we're trying to contact, the higher power, is always available at all times, right where you are, because I can't see any difference between consciousness and the higher power. <laughs> I don't see any difference in that. In my, so, I feel, uh, <laughs> I think the conscious contact improves the conscious contact. I don't see, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. so it's all it's always there, but we kind of we just occasionally the parasite or everyone pulls the curtain back and we sort of acknowledge it and then we put the curtain back and we get caught up in other shit, yeah? Yeah, yeah, but the fact is it's always there. Yeah. When yeah. the shit runs out, it's there. When the shit is running, it's there. And before the shit it's there. Hmm. What more reliable do you want? <laughs> <laughs> just because you don't know it doesn't make it so or not so that's what you come to you come to you know this idea of 
conscious contact completely dependent on me isn't the way I see it. My conscious contact is completely dependent on the consciousness. <laughs> that, that works better. <laughs> if, if it's based on me, I'm starting from the point that I'm not conscious, I'm not in conscious contact, or if I do any little thing, it, it exiles me from conscious contact. I don't want that to be the higher power. I don't want my head to be, uh, I don't want my head's understanding of the higher power. Now it's severely limiting. I want the higher power's understanding of my head. <laughs> yeah. It's just that simple. I don't want, why would I want to squeeze it into this fucking little box like one of these squares? Yeah, I would just give up the square and then, phew, yeah. I mean, it's insane to me. But is it true then that the more we draw back the curtain or we look at the box, as it were, then that... Well, the we don't draw back the curtain. Something draws back the curtain and then we see it. But we don't draw back the curtain. No way. Isn't that the case? You get changed and then something gets a sniff of that and tells, and then it has a story that I did something to okay. promote the change. It's a just, it's like fucking, it's like anything that ever happens, the mental state like tries to tag a narrative on it. Yeah. And sometimes it's so off. You, can, you even see it. You go, wait a minute. That's ridiculous. You know, I didn't choose to become sober. I got struck sober. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just trying to get I was just trying to get loaded until I could get high. And then something stopped all that. It was and then a few days later, oh, I chose to get sober. <laughs> it's just made up shit. It's like a narrative looking for a fucking story. That's all it's doing all day. And then it just glues it and then we just we just we just swallow it whole with no fucking I mean it you know ten minutes of just sitting down in an unbiased way, you'll see the whole thing. You'll see it. You'll see the head march out another story. <laughs> combine a past story and project a future story. It's just like on and on and on and on and on. Why? It, it, can, it, never, it never wins over the audience. It's always playing to the audience, yeah? From the first time it started, maybe when we were four or five, till the, the last moment of life, the head's going to be trying to convince something in here that this is what's happening, yeah? You're fucked, or you're this, or you're that. You know what I mean? How many times are you going to swallow it? Rely on the awakeness. It's always available at all times. Rely on what's conscious. It's always available at all times. As long as you continue to stay alive, consciousness is going to be the animating principle. It is. Why not rely on that? It's more reliable than your breath. It's more reliable than your fucking 
blood pumping, it's more reliable than your thoughts, it's more reliable definitely than your story, it's more reliable than anything else you thought you could rely on, it's more reliable because it's here all the time, here, 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 here. That's where you rest. Right before all of what you're not is what you are. You can't recognize it because it's not a thing. Yeah? You are spirit. That's the starting point. There's no fucking, there's no way thing began and then no thing maybe shows up. No. Spirit is the context. Appearances are appearing in it. Yeah? We have it ass backwards. We think the appearances are the reality and the spirit is fucking nothing. This is just a correction of that. Maybe we're off. Maybe what we're relying on is unreliable. Maybe the thought system is unreliable. Maybe it's based on a fucking false premise. Yeah? And we've been listening to it for 70 years and it's never delivered the goods. We've never stabilized into a, a chilled out, satisfied and content state. And you know what? We never will, based on listening to this. Never. Ever. Yeah? It's a failed system. I mean, every one of us in all these squares have had a, a copious amount of evidence already. There's no need to keep researching. Yeah? Fucking, the verdict is in. You're fucked. Yes? Basically. <laughs> Yeah, and now let's move on, all right? Let's lose interest in that which is worthy to lose interest in. The same old story? For 60 years, it's boring as fucking hell. Yes. You know, how many times can be you be scared from what's not happening? How many times, you know? When are you going to put your foot down and have enough? Yeah? This is a mental slavery. And yet what is enslaved can never be enslaved. Yeah? What, that's, what seems to be bound can never be bound. It's just a fact. Yeah? Let a little of that in your life. And maybe then you'll have the eyes to see and at least make it's just, it's not a huge step to be able to see the difference between what's not happening appearing in what's happening and then the what's are happening the shit's appearing in you can tell the difference you can this is not like a master's graduating phd it's simple observation yeah next week is not happening it isn't it's not happening so let's honor at least what's happening and then render unto caesar's what caesar's which is what's not happening. And I'm telling you, we paid way too much tax to that fucking Caesar. Yeah? We're paying for our own imprisonment. That's what we're doing. We're lending it light to shine on us like a fucking object to be critiqued and fucking hated and promoted and disguised and have secrets and all shit like that. When's it gonna fucking end? Yeah? Who wants to live in the fear of a problem that hasn't arisen for 32 years? Give me a freaking break. 
I mean, let's call it a fact-based life, yeah? <laughs> a fact-based life instead of a false evidence appearing real life. What? I mean, you want to keep painting differences? What would a fact-based look like? The ability to respond to what's happening, let's say that, yeah? <laughs> and the ability not to react to what's not happening. That would be the common condition. You would not react to what's not happening, and you would respond to what's happening. Yeah? So let's start with that as the early building blocks. And then from there, you'll start seeing blue as blue and red as red. Things will become clear. Yeah? You'll rely on what's reliable, and you won't rely on what's not reliable. Yeah? You'll be weaned off of all this bullshit, and you'll be nourished by that living presence. Yeah? You won't take a story to be the end-all, be-all. You'll take the living to be the end-all, be-all. And you'll have a lot of gratitude and honor for what has come to pass in your life instead of constantly looking for what will come to pass. You'll be able to enjoy what is coming to pass now. So your premise will be based on being what you are, not becoming something else or unbecoming something else, but being what you are. These are simple, you know, simple things. They're not like fucking mystical, esoteric, uh, fucking some secret society. It's basic, all right, something got corrected, and then the correction feeds on itself, and more correction occurs, yeah? And you're in the process to observe it and then express the corrections, yeah? And perhaps to other people in the same dilemma, they'll, you will be a source of attraction, so the message won't be promoted, it will be attractive to others, yeah? And you'll present the possibility, and that possibility will hit someone who thought it at one point was impossible. And now things become possible, and so it will go. And you'll start traveling lighter as a basis, instead of traveling in anxiety as the basis. Yeah? And perhaps there is a better way. There you go. If I'm going to have to travel through life, I'd rather travel lighter than heavier. I would. Yeah? I would, if there was an option. All right, you got to do it. You got 80 years, let's say. You're going to have to do it. I can't guarantee it's going to be great every time. Shit may hit the fan, but here you go. But there is an option. You can either travel lighter through it or travel heavy through it. Which one do you want? Well, which one has me mostly? Well, the traveling heavy. Whoa, let me think then. I really want to be there. Maybe I can weather the storms and just be a super me. Or the other one would be an absence of you as the main character. Oh, I'll sign up for that one. Traveling lighter. Yeah. You can decide at any moment. Yeah. From this point on, you can travel lighter. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But the offer isn't to you. It isn't. That you cannot travel lighter. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Try to figure out how you can be there to get it. Well, it's not going to work. Self can't get out of self. You don't want to believe that, you're going to have to experience it. It's going to suck. You could bypass it, but if that's the way you learn, all right. Try to get out of self. See what happens.
<laughs> so perhaps there's a better way. We just put it out there. I enjoy the hell out of everybody coming here. And uh, at least we can entertain some new freaking ideas, man. Hallelujah. I'm so tired of the same old, same old. Really. Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So at least like a dog, it goes like this. It makes me cock my head. Wait a minute. At least it's novel. Yeah. Please. So, all right. I'm really happy to see everybody. Yeah. See you, Samantha. I see you there. Mickey, always nice to see you, Mickey. Jim and Trish, always good to see you. We got Daz. Daz showed up somewhere. He's here. <laughs> Johans, Dimitri. We got Mario walking his dog. Suka, Mika. Let me see. We got Jess. I love that spiritual subpoena, Jess. Very nice. Great, great. G, fantastic. I like the more subdued G. It's good. <laughs> Mike, fantastic. David, Carl. Carl, you got a lot to offer, Carl. Danny, Mike, Mike Oldfield. Moira, nice to see you, Moira. Uh, we got Rob, always to see Rob. One day I'm going to meet you, Rob Farr. Mike Z, good to see you, Mike, always. Stevie B, UK. James, bring that back to the United Nations, Stevie, or I'm going to have to call. <laughs> this is a program of rigorous honesty. James Braun, especially when it concerns you. <laughs> Dave, yeah, in the bond, the relief from the bondage of self. Xavi, X-A-V-I, nice to see you, Xavi. We got Leslie here. We got Paul, like the shirt, Paul. That's where, that's how it looks, my day looks right now. I love it. Uh, let's see, I got him, I got these folks. Danny, every one of these folks has stuck it through, fantastic. Johan, Samantha, Mario still. Then we got these folks, and then we get anonymous. So, hey, thank you so much. Samantha, nice to see you. You've got a lot of family, a lot of kids. That's good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you guys. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And then we have a meeting after the meeting, so go to it. Dave, you can call me later if you like, or tomorrow. I will do. All right. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Bye.